Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom and the American way. Tom Harvard here with you broadcasting live from Shelter in Place, my home office in Portland. And I find it very interesting that the Democrats are essentially segregating hard infrastructure, that is roads, highways, airports, uh, bridges, broadband from what they refer to as soft infrastructure. I I have long held that our soft infrastructure is actually um, among our most important infrastructures, and that is our intellectual infrastructure, our our students, our colleges, our our schools, our social institutions, the things that, that, that make American society work. I think these are all very important and, 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 and powerful things. And that, you know, we need to be funding them in a big way. And they've decided to separate them for the moment and just make this a $2 trillion bill, uh, this uh, jobs and infrastructure plan. Uh, the House released roughly a $2 trillion infrastructure plan. Basically, what it, what it says, what this bill says is that by 2030, every American will have access to high-speed internet in their home. As many as 2 million housing and home units and housing units would be constructed, renovated, or retrofitted to be safe, secure, and energy efficient. We'd have electric charging stations across the the country. We would replace every lead pipe in America. And yes, there's over 200 communities that still have lead pipes supplying water to them, like Flint, Michigan. Uh, that we know of. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're, it's all over the place. Yeah, here's how it breaks out. There's $621 billion for transportation. That includes roads, bridges, ports, airports, public transit, and electric vehicle charging stations, including $80 billion of that for Amtrak. There's $111 billion for replacing lead water pipes and old sewer lines. There's $100 billion for a national broadband internet system. There's $100 billion for up- upgrades to the electric grids to deliver clean energy. And $300 billion toward retrofitting and building uh, homes. There's also $400 billion to provide care for the elderly and people with disabilities in this package instead of putting that into the soft social infrastructure bill. 
Now, how are they going to pay for this? Well, Donald Trump lowered the top corporate tax rate from 28% down to 21%. So they're just going to reverse that, take it back up to 28% and use that. And that money will actually pay for this, which is mind boggling when you think about it. That Donald Trump gave away to big corporations enough money to rebuild the roads in America, to rebuild our bridges, to, to build new airports, to build new schools and all over the country, to uh, rebuild and, and, uh, and modernize Amtrak, to provide uh, you know, millions and millions of people with high-speed, low-cost broadband to uh, retrofit millions and millions of homes, build two million new homes. I mean, all that kind of stuff. It's just mind-boggling. There is this uh, 1974 law, it was called the, uh, budget, the Congressional Budget Act, that put a loophole in the Senate rule for reconciliation, saying that there's, you can have more than just one piece of legislation passed by reconciliation per year, as long as it meets a certain criteria, and this bill appears to meet that criteria. It has never been used. And Chuck Schumer is thinking about dusting this off and trying it. Of course, it will be challenged by Mitch McConnell and the Republicans in the Senate. But I think it's going to be a fascinating thing, and I think there's a lot, a lot of possibilities here. So, anyhow, let's get back to your, uh, your calls and continue our conversation about the issues of the day, including the Chauvin trial. By the way, uh, Chauvin, uh, yesterday, I asked out loud, I wonder if chauvinism has to do with Chauvin. Actually, it does. There was this guy named Chauvin who was an officer in Napoleon's army. And when Napoleon died, he basically created this cult around Napoleon. And thus the word chauvinism. It's, you know, it's like a cult follower who wants to exclude other people. And, and uh, so here we have Derek Chauvin, same name. It's bizarre. I've spoken several times on this program in the last couple of weeks about these variants and how much more contagious they are, that that uh, the old wild COVID would not spread very far in a building, for example, through the uh, shared HVAC systems. Some of these new variants, like the B117, the British variant, and I think it's called the P1, the South African variant, they will spread inside a building. Uh, even if you're not in the same room with someone, or it appears that that's the case, um, that you this is the whole thing about double masking. These these variants are so contagious that even a mask doesn't always protect you. And uh, sure enough, France is shutting down for three weeks um, because the 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 British the so-called British variant is just ripping through that country. Um, this is not good. We need to get as many people vaccinated as quickly as possible to, number one, stop, because these vaccines are also effective against all these so far known variants. So number one, we need to get as many people vaccinated as quickly as possible to stop the spread of this disease. Because, you know, we're still at the point where the, the majority, the vast majority of Americans have not been infected. Let's get them vaccinated instead, number one. And number two, the more people who have the disease, and this is more of a worldwide problem, I get it, and there's not a lot we can do in many countries in the world, but still, the more people who have the disease, the more mutations there will be because every person's body is a mutation incubator. And, uh, you know, another strong reason why we need to get uh, people vaccinated. I mean, this, this vaccine actually works. Ryan in Sebastopol, California. Hey, Ryan, your thoughts? Hey, Tom. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I, I agree with almost 99.9% of everything that you say. This one uh, is striking a little bit of nerve in me. Um, I, I just, I think that the evidence is not in yet on whether this 
stops you from getting it or spreading it. So until that information is in, I feel like this debate is a little bit early. Um, well, you've got phase one, phase two, and phase three vaccine trials that were done by all, on all these vaccines before they were authorized for public use on an emergency basis. And, and those, typically those, uh, those tests involve 30 to 50,000 people each. And now you've got around the world, you know, something like 100 million people have been vaccinated. And you just had this study that was published day before yesterday that the CDC director was referencing, which was a study of healthcare workers who had been vaccinated and who on a daily basis were exposed to this disease. And what they found was that, uh, that none of them uh, got any kind of symptomatic COVID, and only about 10% of them got COVID that was asymptomatic. And even when it was asymptomatic, it was at such a low threshold that it was not highly contagious. Those are all. That's all. Yeah, small, small you know, viral loads. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's I'm all. Just, I'm torn because I, I can't. I, I might not be able to get the vaccine because I have some medical. Con- for one, I I, I am um, susceptible to blood clots and and also. Um, I have an allergic reaction to shellfish, so I'm I'm a little bit hesitant right now. And believe me, if it were then you should if, want if everybody around in, you to be vaccinated, Ryan. Yeah, no, and I do, I do. I'm not I'm not an anti-vaxxer <laughs> by any means at all. I, I just I just feel like like it, it the 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 ability of it to stop somebody from getting it and stop them from giving it is the evidence is not there yet. Yeah. And, and we are I think the evidence, evidence actually is, is right. Showing that it's good, uh, you know. You know, I mean, I, yeah. I, I, I you know, respectfully, the, the evidence is already in. I'm, I'm going to stop you right there because uh, this is not uh, whether this stuff works or not is not what's in dispute. Uh, if you want to build a case that we don't know what the long-term side effects of the vaccines are, yeah, sure, you can build that case. But the short-term side effects over the last, you know, over a period of mo- months appears to be, I mean, because if you go back to Jerry Ford vaccinating everybody for the, for the swine flu back in 1974, and it, sh- it turned out that there were a few people who got, uh, what was it, Epstein-Barr or Guillain-Bierre, whatever it was, it, they got some neurological condition. But it was a very small number. That was for the flu that might have killed 30,000 people that year. This is something that has already killed a half million Americans. Ron in Milwaukee, what's up, Ron? Oh, yes. Uh, my uh, comments just had to do with um, the not being in favor of the forced or um, vaccination simply because the evidence still has to continue to come in over time. And I know that it did have chemical, I mean, uh, clinical trials. Uh, but even in the CDC website, it says that after they approve the vaccine for emergency use, it still continues to be studied to determine how well it works under, quote, real world conditions. And that's, the, that's an exact quote uh, from them. So um, to try to protect people from getting what I guess mostly everyone agrees that it is a resp- uh, basically a respiratory illness, then um, I do agree that we still need to take precautions. But uh, things like, a, you know, worldwide ID would seem like you were a kind of 
pushing would be. Well, Ron, I'm not, I am not suggesting that you said you, you started out by saying you were opposed to forcing people to take the vaccine. I'm not suggesting anybody should be forced to take the vaccine. What I'm saying is, and this is what, this is what they did in Israel. They said, if you, don't if you want to go to the bar, if you want to go to the restaurant, if you want to go to the concert, you got to show your vaccine passport. And suddenly a lot of young people who were skeptical started getting vaccinated. That's what I think we should do. But if this is a respiratory illness, then get, being vaccinated, having something injected in your body uh, from uh, it's still kind of a, a, the mRNA had not been used in this way before the, that technology. So I'm saying right. to um, it, it's just there are other ways from my, you know, from my perspective to keep from spreading. Well, get the J&J vaccine. That's an old-fashioned DNA vaccine. That's an old-fashioned, it's not the killed virus, but it's 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 very close. It's, uh, it's, using, it's, not the, it's not the only way to prevent. Oh, you're saying if you inject something to stop a respiratory? No, it, it, the, the body reacts, you know, whether whether you get a uh, an infection through your mouth, through your nose, through your lungs, through your fingers, through your eyes. Uh, the entire immune system of the body gets mobilized, and that's that's why the injection works. Ron, thank you for the call. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Well, to continue our conversation right after this, stick around. MJ in Seattle. Hey, MJ, what's up? I really appreciate your talking about how to help people who've been put in a cult with Trump. I have a brother in that situation. I've been developing something going back to when my political discussions were about global warming and people didn't want to believe and they just stop you and say, oh, I'm well, I'm I'm warning, fair warning here. I'm a skeptic or I'm a denier. And it has to do with your brain. It's got a left side and a right side. The left side is relates to dictators and believes in self-interest. That's how you can work on your job. And the right side of the brain sees everything. Its main thing is openness, curiosity. So you start by saying, gosh, I wonder what would be like if you didn't believe that. (laughs) Gosh, Mm. I wonder, I am currently, I can actually talk with people who are being really rude and very harassing, talking the metaphor for typing things into Facebook or something, and say, Mm. I can still lay out facts. They don't bristle. It's almost like right. a little trap door in it's their a, brain. It's actually curious. a technique that Milton Erickson, who was an extraordinarily famous hypnotist, medical hypnotist, he's a psychiatrist who lived in Phoenix, died in the 1960s. And mm-hmm. uh, he was one of the three geniuses that Richard Bandler and John Grinder modeled neurolinguistic programming on. Erickson would put people in trances or he would use that phrase, I wonder, as a way of causing people to imagine things that, uh, or to visualize things, to have a thought that they were not prepared to have, that they didn't want to have. And using it exactly the way you're talking about, MJ, it's a very, very powerful strategy or technique to engage a person in a conversation where they don't even realize that it's literally a conversation. In other words, it's going back and forth. You know, it just seems like idle speculation kind of thing. And you're putting that out. Robin in Kingston, Washington. Hey, Robin, what's up? I have a very firm view about cancel culture and uh, why the uh, what I call the oligarch media are not covering it all. Cancel culture is censorship. Stop. Period. 
okay? And a lot of censorship is needed for the oligarch media and Facebook and YouTube and others who are just doing the scrubbing of content to be able to continue what I consider to be misinforming or under-informing the public. Well, let me give you an example of that, Robin, and then I'll toss it back to you. In the 1890s, we got our first public schools in the United States as a result of Horace Mann's efforts, and that was in in the Boston area. And by 1910, 1920, public schools had spread all across America. You know, we've always taught history. But I would argue that literally from 1892 today, or until the last two or three years, we have canceled any discussion of actual black history in our elementary and secondary schools. It just doesn't, it didn't exist. Or if it did, it was marginal. Or if it did, it was, uh, you know, as my kids learned in the South, you know, it was the war of Northern aggression and all those happy slaves down there and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, they, they canceled the history of black people. And now that the, you have schools that are trying to use the 1619 Project from the New York Times and the books around it as course curricula for studying the history of, uh, you know, black history in the United States, you've got states that are trying to, trying to cancel that, they're trying to outlaw it. Back to you, Robin. Well, I agree with you about the educational aspect, and you can certainly put in they've canceled the history of Native America. But, of course, we can catch up if you read uh, Roxanne Dunbar-Ortiz's book, Native History of the United States. Uh, I will give examples that the oligarch media has to hide from. Every December 7th, they have to kind of, like, just cover the information that Robert Stennett has put out in his book about Pearl Harbor and FDR knowing too much about it. JFK, which is you are very, very familiar with, and is another good book out. Martin Luther King, there's a really good book by William Pepper on Martin Luther King. Yeah, you and I agree on how Cheney used 9-11. Okay, that's what it is. So, Tom, this is the thing. This is cancel culture is censorship. And you know what? You and Lamar are next because you guys are crazy conspiracy theorist JFK truthers. So when we deal with cancel culture, yeah, Tom, Robin, I got, I've got to move along, but because uh, you're you're okay. turning this into a rant, but 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 I get it. Thank you, Bill in Clifton, New Jersey. Hey, Bill, what's up? I think the canceling started with Reagan when he canceled democracy, when yeah, he told you. us that you should be afraid of the government, which is us because we are a democracy. That I should be right. afraid of Tom Hartman and the rest of the country. The Republican Party has been continuing that, and I think they're at their end. And I think they're canceling themselves because they have nothing to offer. And you know what? If we didn't have the Republican Party and it was just the Democratic Party, Democratic Party would not exist because it would be the way the founders wanted it to be without any parties. And people would be voting progressively. They might have different points of view and things like that. But at least if there's two parties, they should be going towards progress, not yeah. at each other. I and agree, Bill. And this is, this is what James Madison wrote about in Federalist Number 10. And he was very passionate about it, about the danger of the rise of what he called factions and political parties along with them when they founded the republic. And, and Dan Sisson wrote about this, and, and I helped mm-hmm. with that book. It's called The, the mm-hmm. American Revolution of 1800 by Dan Sisson with Tom Hartman. You're absolutely right. The founders wanted there to be one single party. Wayne in Las Vegas. Hey, Wayne, you got a minute. What's up? The hypocrisy of the Republicans. When they mm-hmm. attack the, the current legislation, the COVID relief bill, they're not actually attacking what's in it. If you notice, they're attacking the messaging. 
And so that's how you need to defend it. Just ask them. And then what did the Clear Air Act have to do with clearing up the air, which was passed right. by Bush? Yes. And I'm sure you when can think of many other act. circumstances. They're attacking the message, not what happened, because, you know, the benefits are too popular. Yeah. And so they can't yeah, no. get away with attacking those too much. Yeah. Well, I just I don't worry. I don't know where they're coming up with this nine percent thing when, you know, it's so obvious. Anybody can look it up. It's like, but, you know, Republicans have never worried that much about lies that are easy to disprove. Trump is continuing to claim that he won the election when he lost it by seven million votes. And he lost the Electoral College, too. And, and Republican governors, you know, like in Georgia, say, yeah, he lost. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. And I think it's important that we acknowledge that lying as a routine way of doing business in the Republican Party did not start with Trump. It started in a big way with Reagan. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs. Now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Linda in Coconut Creek, Florida. Hey, Linda, what's up? I just want to tell you, I was 21 years old when Reagan did that to the waitresses. And it took mm-hmm. six months before it took effect because I lived in Michigan with you. I was in, over at Pop and Fresh Pies in Warren, Michigan. I remember the receipts changed. Say it was like $15. Mm-hmm. Okay, you owed in taxes. It was at the bottom of the receipt. You owed like a dollar fifty or something, regardless if they tipped you or not. That was regardless. Right. You were going to pay that tax no matter what. That was the first bad thing Reagan did. 
And the second bad thing he did, which we, which I'm thanking you for, and I want you to thank Mr. Pocan for it and Mr. O'Connor, is they saved our central, the Democrats saved our central pension fund, the Bruce Lewis Pension Relief Act. They saved mm-hmm. 1.4 million pensioners because we contribute $98.4 million to this economy. So you can imagine if we stop getting our pensions, what's it going to do to the economy? And people aren't. aren't and that's one of the things. The yeah, and that's one of the things that the Republicans are squealing about. You had this earlier caller from Iowa, and he was like, "Republicans are saying only nine percent of the bill covers COVID relief." Well, that's one of the things that doesn't quote directly cover COVID relief, but it, it indirectly does. I mean, everybody's hurting right now because of COVID. But you're absolutely right. The Butch Lewis Pension Relief Act was rolled into this bill. I mean, this bill was made up basically of a lot of pieces of legislation that were already being proposed. And that was one of them. We have been fighting for that for seven years, and no Republican Mm -hmm. would touch that. And do they honestly think that Trump was going to help them out? He put that tax on federal employees, the payroll tax. He put that in with that executive order where federal employees didn't pay into a payroll tax, which means they don't pay into Social Security or Medicare. These people are not using, you know, Trump is not your friend. Republicans are not your friend. That's what they yeah. don't understand is everything has consequences when you vote. So please thank them. I thank you, Tom. I've been calling you year after year. What about my central pension plan? And you have been wonderful getting the people on your show to, to you know, educate everybody that, look, if we all stand together, we can get something done. And we sure did this time. And, oh, Tom, I got my shot today, and I'm only 61. We're all getting there, and I am Let's looking forward to getting you. back in the studio. Yeah, there you go. Thanks to Joe. Absolutely. Because Donald Trump left no national plan whatsoever. And manufacturers who were shipping vaccines out to the states. And Trump's plan was the vaccines will appear at an airport in your state. Good luck. And <laughs> that's not a plan, yeah. right? That's not a plan. And then, uh, thank you, Linda. And then he's tweeting, you wouldn't even have shots if it wasn't for me. Well, excuse me, the Pfizer vaccine was developed by a Turkish immigrant company in Germany, and the company took not one penny from Operation Warp Speed. Kurt in uh, Madison, Wisconsin. Hey, Kurt, what's up? I want to make a comment on something. I know it's a far shot, maybe even impossible, but you've referred it back uh, several times over the years to our founders about they didn't want parties. The Republicans Correct. are so good at, at brainwashing people to tie words, in this case a group liberal or Democrats, to target words that people that don't even understand what they are. It's like socialism or, you know, they yell communism. So I thought that it would be best to dissolve the titles of the parties because it's much more difficult to point a finger and broad brush and say that person's us, that group is a socialist as opposed to individuals saying they're socialists. And that way it forced the politicians to run more on what they're telling their voters that they will get done. And I, I think mm-hmm. this is a huge problem with our democracy. I get what you're saying, Kurt. You're, you're asking both political parties to essentially unbrand themselves, to lose their political identities. And that's not going to happen. But I think what is happening is that there are those of us, you know, people like you and me, who, who literally for 40 years have been telling everybody Reaganism and Republican policies are a scam, they're a con, they're a grift, and our Republican voting friends or conservative, you know, neighbors and relatives have been saying, oh, no, 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 you know, small government is actually a good thing and lower taxes is going to help the economy and, and deregulation, you know, helps corporate profits, which means that they'll hire more people and pay better wages. And 
now I think after Trump presidency in particular, everybody except again the small fringe of crazies, pretty much everybody else gets that you know it's a con job. These guys have been conning America since Reagan and they still are. And now, to your point, Kurt, now what you have is that the American people are starting to actually look at what they do, not what they say, and to see the hollowness of those kind of, you know, small government slogans. I, you know, I heard one of these guys on NPR this morning. It was like, really? You're going to trot that out again? You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Well, I really do believe we're seeing the end of the Reagan era and a new day is dawning. I honest to God believe that. Nobody's called yet to tell me I'm crazy. That's interesting. For our book club today, we're reading from The Healing Power of Neurofeedback, The Revolutionary Lens Technique for Restoring Optimal Brain Function. The author is Stephen Larson, Ph.D., and the foreword is by a guy named Tom Hartman. This is from uh, Stephen Larson's introduction. As the distinguished American psychologist Jerome Brunner has said, not until we have begun to tell a story about our own experience does it make sense to ourselves as well as to others. This book is the story of my experiences with neurofeedback, an emerging technology of healing in which EEG, electroencephalography, processors and computers team up with the brain's own circuits to accomplish remarkable forms of self-regulation. It's also the story of the development and evolution of a particular kind of neurofeedback known as LENS, low-energy neurofeedback system, which emerged from the work and research of a dedicated psychologist with an affinity for electronics and an intuitive understanding of the energies of the body, Dr. Len Oakes. But most of what is presented here are stories relating the actual living experiences of men and women struggling with disorders that affect their nervous systems, parents looking for help with their children afflicted with attention deficit or obsessive compulsive disorder, people who are depressed or anxious and have run out of medication options, people with a head injury or the sudden onset of a degenerative disease that has left them cognitively impaired or emotionally unstable. These stories are in the area that the scientifically minded might refer to as qualitative research, clinical studies, or narrative histories. In this book, you will also find the stories of therapists who grow as they confront their own challenges in understanding, developing new healing paradigms, and learning how to help people who are very sensitive neurologically. Although we also cite and rely upon much hard evidence, scientific data, and measurement, and use refined high-tech equipment that measures the energy of the brain exquisitely, the real heart of what we have to say is about the personal hero journeys to transform the self and expand human therapeutic technologies. These stories move the heart as well as inform the mind. The discipline called neurofeedback or neurotherapy is itself a subdiscipline of biofeedback, a term broadly used for techniques of self-regulation. In biofeedback, a machine is used to generate electronic signals that inform a person about factors such as his or her hand temperature or muscle tension. Starting in the 1950s, it was discovered that Guided by such feedback, a person could learn to raise or lower blood pressure, quiet muscle spasms, or soothe an irritable bowel. Neurofeedback is simply the application of this same principle to the electrical waves produced by the brain as recorded on an EEG, an electroencephalograph. 
With subtlety and skill, it is helping thousands of children and adults learn to regulate their own nervous systems. A not insignificant matter. For the CNS, the central nervous system determines just how one functions in life. The field of neurofeedback is not yet well known enough to have a reputation based on its remarkable efficacy, perhaps because its premises seem closer to the traditional wisdom and spiritual disciplines of the East than to the dominant Western scientific paradigm. But this dominant model is changing as millions of people instinctively and wisely aim themselves toward complementary and alternative medical approaches, and as disciplines broadly known as energy medicine reemerge into the public theater. Energy medicine had a fledgling career toward the end of the 19th and beginning of the 20th centuries, but it was displaced by the monolithic and, it should be added, chauvinistic, allopathic approach that most of us have grown up with. Critics have pointed out that while Western medicine has indisputable benefits, especially in dealing with serious illnesses and health crises, it has very little to contribute when it comes to staying healthy and avoiding illness. Neurofeedback is a people's medicine that has emerged from the work of dedicated clinicians and their satisfied patients. And it is my belief that the work of Len Oaks will come to the forefront of neurofeedback and that neurofeedback itself will take a significant place in the public awareness among those approaches that are not trying to displace Western medicine, but complement it. So people with conventional medical and scientific educations need not feel threatened by this method. Healing Power of Neurofeedback by Steve Larson. I think I mentioned this yesterday, I believe, I'm pretty sure it was yesterday, that, that I have family in Michigan. My three younger brothers all live there and uh, friends in Michigan. You know, I, I grew up in Michigan. I lived there until I was 27 years old. And in particular, a couple of people that I went to college with and later started a business with, actually, that I stay in contact with. One of them is now living down in Mexico. The rest of them are all living in Michigan. And, and everybody in Michigan that I'm corresponding with, I'm, I'm not making a universal statement. I'm just, this is my own personal experience, is extremely freaked out right now about COVID. And this is what uh, Rachel Walensky, I believe her name is, the, the, uh, the head of the CDC, said in this uh, just heartfelt you know, I'm throwing away my script. I'm going to speak from my heart. I'm going to tell you, you know, I am very deeply concerned. And, and she said she's felt a sense of impending doom. And it's because what's happening in Europe right now, I mean, France is on the edge of a lockdown. Large parts of France are already locked down. The UK, it's kind of washed through the UK already. This is called the British variant. And it's so much more highly contagious than the normal COVID and slightly more deadly. And it does infect younger people and it does kill younger people. Although just like the old COVID, it, it most enthusiastically kills people over 60. But that British variant is now hitting the rest of Europe. And, you know, it, it left Great Britain a couple of months ago. And, and just as Europe thought they had control of the coronavirus and started cautiously reopening, boom, it just like ran right into that thing, like, you know, right into a, an oncoming snowplow or something. And now, now there's this problem there. Well, it's happening in the United States and the state that seems to be the epicenter for the British variant. This, uh, as I recall, is like B117, isn't it? Yeah, B117. 
is now burning through the state of Michigan and coming to a town near you. Right now, Michigan is ground zero, just like with the original virus from China, it was Washington State. And with the first iteration of the virus from China coming from Europe, it was New York City and New Jersey back a full year ago right now. That's what's happening in Michigan, only instead of the original wild COVID strain, it is now this COVID B117 British variant, which is so much more contagious that in high density housing settings, it's more likely to spread. If, if, if somebody lives in an apartment building that has a shared HVAC system, if you're in a school, it can move from room to room. If you're in a restaurant and there's not you know, really, really good ventilation and filters, I mean, this is, this is why they're talking, and this is why the teachers' unions are saying that we need to upgrade the, the HVAC system within our schools to include things like, they've got these uh, ultraviolet lights. Uh, I actually bought one of these filters for our house back during the, uh, the fires here in Oregon, you know, uh, last summer where, where we were having, um, uh, it was just horrible. You couldn't breathe, indoors you couldn't breathe because of the smoke. And uh, the filter that I bought has a button you can push and it turns on a UV light that kills viruses as they travel through it, as well as taking out all the particulate matter. Well, um, you know, this is happening in Michigan right now and it's just burning through the state. There's a 53% surge in Michigan hospitalizations. That's the bad news. And it's now starting to spread across the country. Uh, best guess, given that Florida and Texas have both said uh, to hell with mass mandates we're going to open the states florida was welcoming people down for spring break same thing was happening along the gulf coast in texas and uh, now we're seeing a 12 percent rise nationwide the seven day average for new new cases topped 63,000 for the first time in nearly a month and michigan vermont and north dakota are experiencing the biggest spikes right now i predict we will be having this conversation in three weeks about Texas and Florida. Because in Michigan, they started to loosen up a little bit about three, four weeks ago, and boom, here it is. Right here in Oregon, we've really kept things under control. I mean, we had uh, fewer than 250 new cases in the entire state yesterday and no deaths. We've got a good Democratic governor, Kate Brown, who's doing a very, very good job of taking care of this. I'm, I'm, I'm just very impressed. And, and putting up with mind-boggling amounts of right-wing crankery. But there's uh, one little kind of hidden piece of very, very good news in this terrible macrosphere, the larger sphere of bad news. The bad news being, as Dr. Walensky was saying, that we may be entering a whole new wave of deadly virus in the United States. The one little shining light in the midst of that is that, at least in the state of Michigan, where they've, you know, the, the research is in, they're seeing a 53% surge, but there hasn't been in the last month a single person in Michigan who has been hospitalized or died who had been vaccinated. Not one. So as a result of this, they pretty much, Governor Whitmer, very, very good about doing, making sure that everybody in all the old age homes, the nursing facilities, were vaccinated. And thus, uh, this news report, COVID cases among residents in Michigan's skilled nursing facilities have dropped 96%.
even though the state has seen a 53% surge. And cases are down by 26% for people over 70. They're down 54% for people over 80. So this is mostly young people who are now getting sick and dying from COVID, from the new wave, the British You're variant. Listening to the Tom Hartman program. And the take home message from that, of course, is wear your damn mask. Even if you're vaccinated, you can still be a carrier. Wear the mask. Back with your calls after this. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Ed, Des Moines, Iowa. Hey, Ed, what's up? The other day, something occurred to me that seems so patently obvious that I was embarrassed it took me this long to figure it out. You know how Trump always downplayed the coronavirus and said, you don't need to wear a mask. It's going to be gone in a month or two. All's well mm -hmm. with the world. And you wonder, why does he do that? Well, he owns an awful lot of hotels, golf courses, and other places that depend on a flow of money coming in that would be shut off if he told people to stay home and everything that a reasonable person would say. So right. I think he just didn't want to hamper his inflow of cash. I think you may well be right, Ed, because if he was to acknowledge masks, he would also have to acknowledge the, you know, don't go into congregate settings, don't go into restaurants. I'm not sure about golf courses. They may be a whole lot safer. I think that's probably a good piece of it. I think there's also this toxic masculinity thing of, you know, I'm macho and I'm not afraid of these things. And I just saw a poll yesterday that showed that 49% of white GOP voters, white Republican voters, say they're not going to get a vaccine. That's the largest group in America right now that are, quote, vaccine reluctant. You know, again, part of it is that they're listening to disinformation. We know now that the Russian and Saudi and Iranian, apparently even now North Korean trolls on Internet, in addition, you know, the message that they principally pushed out in 2016, largely to Democratic voters on Twitter and on Facebook and et cetera, was the two parties are the same. You know, why bother voting? 
And a lot of Democrats took that to heart. Democratic voters, particularly in five states, in the swing states, were down significantly. Mark Pocan has talked about this on this program. And we all just thought that was because Hillary ran a terrible campaign. Turns out it was this massive campaign to discourage Democrats from voting by saying, you know, it won't matter. Both parties are the same. Why bother? The new message that's coming out of that same group of trolls is, look out, this vaccine might be dangerous. And that message is starting to be amplified in right-wing media. If you go over to the writing.com, R-I-G-H-T-I-N-G.com, you can see you know, the, the headlines and the stories quoted at length this guy who was like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, evolution has prepared me for viruses. I'm, I don't need, you know, we don't need no stinking vaccines. And so, you know, now we're in kind of phase two of this. And again, it's been, if you look at who was opposed to the rescue bill and who wants the country opened immediately and supports people like Greg Abbott, the American Chamber of Commerce is right at the top of that list. You know, the, 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 the organization that represents the biggest businesses in America and the billionaires. And so, you know, yeah, exactly. There you go. Thank you very much for the call, Ed. Great point. Lewis in Asheville, North Carolina. Hey, Lewis, what's on your mind today? The fate of us baby boomers in nursing homes as we age. My mother's 95, lives in a nursing home, costs about $6,800 a month. She's a retired union teacher. My father had a pension. So she's living off of that. Our generation is not going to be able to do that, Tom. We're in trouble because I don't have $6,800 a month when I retire. Yeah, you're right. When my dad retired, he had his house paid off. He had a pension, the Social Security that you could actually live well on. And the health insurance that he had carried into his retirement and covered him and my mom, you know, until they died. With Republicans gutting the unions and all that was stuff that my dad had participated in negotiating on behalf of the 13 guys who worked in that union shop, Lansing Tool and Dye Company. You know, the unions are still around, at least the machinist union that he was, you know, in are still around. But the ability to negotiate those kind of contracts is is really, really uh, has been under fire and has been destroyed. Yeah, it's going to be a tough one, Lewis. Uh, And and the generation behind us is going to have it even worse because, you know, Reaganomics is really biting. And I think this also contributes to why I believe that I'm right, that the era of Reaganomics is ending and we are moving into a new LBJ Great Society or FDR New Deal movement, two generation at least movement. Lewis, thank you for the call. I really believe that I'm right on this and I'm not getting a lot of pushback, but we'll see. Paul in Woodenville, Washington. Hey, Paul, what's on your mind? Do you want to get back to cancel culture, our conversation earlier? Cancel culture is a dog whistle meme for racism, bigotry, misogyny, and socialism. And that's what's going to drive the Republicans in the elections coming in the next two, four, six years. They're essentially saying, if I can't be a racist, a bigot, misogynist, then my constitutional rights are being stepped on. I can't worship my religious faith if I can't discriminate against people of transgender or uh, LGBTQ. That's my constitutional rights being canceled. If I can't insist that I won the election and also insist that there was fraud, the reason I didn't, that I'm being canceled. And all of it comes down to if you're going to be sensitive to racial issues, gender issues, to any religious equality, and then that's all socialism. And you notice what they've said about this bill. It's a boondoggle. It's a pig in a poke. You know, we don't want to be beholden to government. 
But what they want us to be is beholden to corporate entities. And if you can't mm. be beholden to corporate entities, then that's socialism. The whole Democratic agenda they're going to call socialism because it serves the people. Well, if serving the people is a pig in a poke and a boondoggle, and they say it's a Democratic wish list. Well, you know what, Tom? To a degree, that's true. But guess what? Elections have consequences. And this is the way a Democratic president <laughs> would fix things, quote, fix things. They had their way. And I actually am glad they had their way to try it first, because then we wouldn't know about, you know, what their way would, way would be like. But we, they had their chance. And that's why we're doing this. That's why we're passing another one point nine trillion dollar bill because the 2.9 or 3 trillion dollar bill that they passed didn't work their way didn't work so right it's time to see some democratic way of fixing things that's the democratic agenda that's right exactly right amen paul thank you very much and yeah as i said i think the era of reaganism is uh, starting to wind down and it's really gratifying to see joe biden embrace that Debbie in Highlands, New Jersey. Hey, Debbie, thanks for watching us on Free Speech TV. What's on your mind today? Who do we blame for all of our issues? And I think we're not making progress because of the blame game slash cancel culture. We're not making progress because each of us is blinded by our own needs and wants. Out of fear for survival, our human history is that of survival, just like any other part of nature. You know, you're talking about who do we blame. What I'm seeing in the big picture, and then, then, you know, please respond to this, Debbie, but but let me just lay this out, is that you have a bunch of cranky right-wing billionaires back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s who decided that they were paying too much in taxes, and government was trying to do too much, and thus their taxes were continuing to go up. So they created this program to get right-wingers on the court who would dance to the tune of the billionaires. They succeeded. The court said, okay, it's fine if billionaires throw money into politics. The billionaires got all these Republicans elected, and a fair number of Democrats as well, and radically cut their taxes and completely basically reinvented the American system. I totally agree with you, Tom. I agree so, totally so, uh, with you. You could look at that as systemic. You could say, okay, this is the Supreme Court rewriting our laws and we need systemic change. Or you could look at it as we should blame those billionaires who have been funding this for years and years. Or you could look at it as we should be blaming these individual politicians and the Republican Party as I was doing in the last hour. So how does that all fit in with your question of who do we blame? Okay, the problem, I'm a Democrat to begin with, okay? I've always been a Democrat. My family were always Democratic. And I've lived in different parts of the country I'm not a young person, okay? I'm still functioning, (laughs) all right? The problem I have, I've absorbed over my life, and I haven't understood it, and I'm still trying to figure it out, is how do we survive? We're all afraid. If we don't absorb the magnitude of our human condition on this earth, because we have nowhere else to go, we're going to cancel ourselves Mm -hmm. eventually, Okay. Well, we're doing Everybody that. thinks they're going to survive. Listen, listen to what I'm saying just for a moment, Tom, please. Mm, sure. Okay. You have, you have Everybody thinks they can arrange a plan of survival for their family, themselves, and so forth. But what we don't understand is that we have reached a point on this earth here that if we don't figure out 
how to try to cooperate in some way where one group of people isn't squashed so another group can be totally dominant and happy with themselves and to hell with everybody else. Can we please get there? Yeah, I completely agree with you. It's it's a it's a brilliant operating premise. The essence essence of egalitarianism. It's what we need to be working for. Very well said. Kent in Hempstead, North Carolina. Hey, Kent, what's on your mind today? Well, I had a uh, basic question for you, Tom. With all the uh, legislation in process of uh, restricting voting and hours and polling places and shutting off Sunday voting. Isn't the withholding of food of and or water from people that are bound to be stuck standing in line to vote, isn't that a violation of a basic civil right? It just seems to me not only does it border on cruelty, I mean, you wouldn't do that to a, to a, a kid or a dog, but to inflict that kind of uh, situation on people, you know, especially older people that are... Uh, bound to be going to stand in line. I, and it's Republicans and Democrats that will be standing in those lines. Um, it just seems like an act of cruelty that uh, goes beyond any perceived uh, fake fraud that the Republicans keep squawking about. I agree, civil Ken. Rights, is there any kind of violation of civil rights involved with that? But I don't see a legal argument that you could make on that. And the argument that the Republicans in the Georgia legislature are making is that delivering that pizza or that glass or that slice of pizza or that uh, bottle of water is in effect a bribe. You're not supposed to give things of value to people in exchange for their vote. And I mean, that's a crime. And so they're basically extending that crime to include food while you're in line. Okay, John in Bellingham, Washington. Hey, John, what's on your mind? First of all, I made my appointment to get a vaccination on Friday. I'm real happy about that. And a shout out to Jay Inslee. He ought to get a medal for, we were the first state to have COVID and our death rate has been pretty damn low. And I'm very proud of him for that. Amen. But, you know, should I be allowed to walk into a cracker barrel with a pocket full of plutonium? No. It's the same with right. COVID. You shouldn't be able to spread something around that kills people. If That's they, a great if metaphor. They started treating COVID like a controlled substance, you know, which it, it really is. It's a controlled. It should be a controlled substance. If you are packing yeah. COVID around, you have a deadly, you know, in this case, virus, but it's a, a, a deadly substance, and mm. you need to be controlled. Period. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. You know, I, I get it. And all I'm suggesting is that the so-called free market control it by allowing businesses to say, no, you may not come in until you have the vaccine. And, you know, enough businesses, I'm, I believe, will do that, that people who are not, you know, just hardcore anti-vaxxers, but the people who are kind of on, you know, the squishy people, which is probably, you know, nine tenths of all the people who are not getting vaccinated, they'll say, oh, to to heck with it. I'll I'll just go get my vaccine. Just like they may not be fans of vaccine, but they allow their children to be vaccinated because otherwise they're not going to get into into kindergarten. You know, it'd be interesting to go back and dig up some of the things that the Republicans were saying when when there was the Ebola breakout back in what 
2010 yeah. or 11 back in that time. Yeah, yeah. It'd, it'd be yeah, interesting it you know, to dig up some of the things as those guys said back then. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, and they were hysterical. They were, yeah, they were absolutely hysterical. John, thank you very much. That was a good one. Bill in Escondido, California. Hey, Bill, what's up? Very good, Tom. I have an idea to get people encouraged to get their vaccine, announce mm-hmm. that after a certain date, let's say January 1, that all surplus vaccine will be shipped to needy countries. <laughs> yeah, June 1st. Starting yeah. June first, and by the way, the, starting June first, the price goes up to a hundred bucks or something sure. like that. I yeah. totally get it. I I, I think that we, re, you know, and I'm guessing they're having conversations like this in the White House. You know, how do we get past this? You know, the, Donald Trump, the fact that Trump got the vaccine, he got himself vaccinated, and he got Melania vaccinated while he was still president, and he refused to let the American people know. And I believe that was because he has he has tried to tie this false macho thing to not wearing a mask and not getting vaccinated. And you got a lot of these insecure men out there who are who have just bonded with Trump as a result of that. They want to be macho like he is, uh, number one. And number two, I think he's trying to sabotage Joe Biden. And I, I think both of those things are just criminal. But yeah, Bill, good one. Thank you. Today, we're reading about Thunderdome politics, an uncivil war taking back our democracy in an age of Trumpian disinformation and Thunderdome politics by Greg Sargent, the Washington Post columnist. This is from his chapter on voter suppression. It's page 37. Republicans and Democrats inhabit different political realities, as mentioned in a previous chapter. But there are certain facts about our politics that are just objectively true. One of them is this. Generally speaking, efforts to make it harder to vote are almost always pushed by Republicans. You cannot understand what is happening in American politics right now without recognizing this stark and very fundamental difference between the two major political parties. During this decade, procedural hurdles were put into place in around 20 states that in some manner or other have made it harder to vote or to register to vote or have undone previous efforts to make voting or registering easier or have otherwise threatened serious disenfranchisement. Most of them were the creation of Republican lawmakers and officials. The difference in the two parties' national platforms for 2016 tells the story. The GOP platform champions additional hurdles that are absurdly disproportionate to the phantom abuse it alleges, while the Democratic platform champions multiple specific ways to make it easier to vote, not harder. The most common and controversial of methods used by Republicans to suppress Democratic turnout is the requirement that would-be voters present identification at the polls. The game here tends to turn on requiring forms of ID that some groups are less likely to have, making participation harder for them. Other restrictions include techniques like cutting back on early voting and making it harder to register, both of which have, in recent years, been instituted in multiple states. Republicans who have passed laws making it harder to vote have tended to claim such measures are necessary to protect against, quote, voter fraud. We'll look at this in more detail below, but for now... Note that most of the states that have passed such measures did so while under Republican control. As New York University political scientist Samuel Isikoff has memorably put it, the single predictor necessary to determine whether a state will impose voter access restrictions is whether Republicans control the ballot access process. Scholars trace the modern era of warfare over election rules to the intensely contested presidential election of 2000. 
in which a divided Supreme Court halted the recount in Florida, throwing the presidency to George W. Bush. The closeness and partisan acrimony of that contest, combined with the intense national focus on election rules that accompanied the court battle over it, helped persuade both parties to invest much more attention and energy on those rules. As a result, both the implementation of measures restricting the ballot and the legal battles over them have intensified in recent years. The book is An Uncivil War by Greg Sargent of The Washington Post. Crystal in Omaha, Nebraska. Hey, Crystal, what's up? Hi there. I just want to add to this great conversation you have here. Um, my only concern is the the anti-pro-dialectic, uh, all these dialectics of left, right, Republican, Democrat, pro-anti-vax. I want to move beyond all that and get to some solutions. Um, mm. And you've had some great, great insight on, you were explaining to one lady about the um, innate immune system, you know, your mouth, your ears, you know, nose. Um, my, my concern with uh, the mRNA is that it focuses on the upper, upregulating of the antibodies. But we don't really have orchestra here from a systems biology perspective. Um, there's the interferon system, you know, the microbiome, uh, the gut-brain access, uh, you know, macrophages that upregulate, you know, B cells and all these other things. It's an orchestra that we're looking for. And so I get concerned uh, if we just, you know, reduce it down to antibodies, antibodies, antibodies. And we know from the science out of NIH that's been published in Nature that those wane uh, in a very short amount of time, like the healthcare worker that called saying, hey, I got my vaccine six, seven months ago. It's going to be wearing off soon. You know, well, we don't know. So, That's the problem, Crystal. And and the argument that you're making is an argument really for the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, which is an old fashioned DNA vaccine that that has, you know, that, that evokes a broader spectrum response. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, nobody knows when the when the response from the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines are going to wear off. You know, this is a, a new application of this. But there is there is a, a study out of the NIH on how long the the, uh, the antibodies are lasting as a result of these. Yeah, okay. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Crystal, thank you. I, you know, I totally get what you're saying. It's a huge public health experiment, but that's what you got to do when you have a half a million dead Americans, right? <laughs> this is, you know, you take chances and you, and you do what you think is going to be right. You just have to. Otherwise, we're going to have another half a million dead Americans. Thanks so much for being with us today. We'll be back, and God forbid, we're not going to have that. Yeah, I, I really think we're going to slow this thing down and stop it. We'll be back same time, same place. In the meantime, get out there, get active, tag, you're it. Have a great afternoon. Be good to yourself and people around you. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 